Are you ready to experience the rich interconnection of spirituality, orientation, and identity? If so, plan to attend Liberating Your Divine Identity, a retreat at Unity Village during Pride Month, June 9th to the 12th. This soul-filled retreat is facilitated by LGBTQIA plus Unity Ministers with workshops and ceremonies to cultivate a deeper awareness of our spiritual nature. Register at unityvillage.org forward slash I am divine 2022. Practical spirituality. Positive messages. This is Unity Online Radio. The Voice of an Awakening World. Welcome to World Spirituality, exploring the unity within all cultures and faith traditions, with your host, Rev. Paul John Roach. So, hello and welcome to World Spirituality on the Unity Online Radio Network. Yes, I'm your host, Paul John Roach, coming to you from Fort Worth in Texas, and today we talk about the Contemplative Studies Program. It's a movement which is burgeoning, actually, in many universities and colleges throughout the states. Um, It meets the needs and desires of our next generation um, by providing a non-sectarian approach to awareness, uh, but but one that is unencumbered by dogma or religious constraints. And um, joining me to discuss this unfolding movement is um, two folks that I, 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 I know one of them very well. I'm getting to know the other one. Um, and they are uh, both involved at one time or another at uh, Texas Christian University. The first is Dr. Mark Dennis, he's a professor of East Asian religions at Texas Christian and uh, here in Fort Worth. And he's been heavily involved in the contemplative studies program. And I've had the pleasure of welcoming him to our show on several occasions. So it's great to have Mark here. And also joining me is uh, Max Sherlansky, who's a, a recent graduate of TCU. Uh, who was highly involved again in uh, the uh, contemplative studies program. In fact, was a co-director uh, of the student groups uh, there. And he was still actively involved, actually. Uh, he's moved to Chicago now. And and so it, it, it's my joy to welcome you both to the show and to discuss uh, this subject, which doesn't just resonate, does it, with college students, but uh, I think it appeals to anyone that might call themselves spiritual, but not religious, right? Um, and I, th- I think when I think of contemplative studies, especially in terms of the West, I, I think of the work, the pioneering work done by uh, Thomas Keating and others, you know, in terms of centering prayer, bringing some of the uh, Eastern spiritual practices back into the context of the West and, and reviving really some of the ancient traditions that that's that have been present in Christianity. So let's kick off with that idea. Well, thanks, thanks, Paul. Thank you for having us, and it's always uh, great to be with you. And so maybe I'll start off by just uh, saying a little bit about contemplative studies. It's um, it's a phrase that I think a lot of people are not uh, familiar with, and we're actually right. kind of trying transitioning to a, a new name, which we can get into a little later. But, oh, but contemplative, 
Yeah, contemplative studies is a, it's an academic term, and it's a reference to uh, things like mindfulness, uh, meditation, uh, yoga, tai chi, and many other kinds of practices. And as you suggested <clears throat> there, um, with Christianity, there are Christian contemplative practices. Many of these practices come out of uh, religious traditions, including uh, Buddhism and Taoism and, and Hinduism and others. Uh, but I think there's, you know, the, the this kind of wave. Andy Ford, our founder, and I wrote an article where we uh, described what you mentioned as kind of this, you know, development of, of contemplative studies as, as this wave that's, that's kind of washing over uh, the United States and other places. Uh, and for many people, I think it is, as you suggested, um, a way to kind of tap into you know, their spirituality and this this um, distinction between, you know, a lot of students will say this, but not just exclusively students, but I, I'm spiritual, but not religious. And there's actually quite a lot of literature on this, but this is a reference to um, people who are looking for something, you know, that transcends the ordinary, the mundane, um, and they go in many, many different kinds of directions, but meditation and, and mindfulness and yoga are oftentimes the place where they will, will turn. And so one of the really interesting developments that we can circle back to later is um, many, many of those people that I just mentioned are not interested in becoming uh, Buddhists or Hindus or whatever, and so are looking at um, what we would call secularized versions. And there's, there's a lot, this is a significant part of, of this movement in, uh, in the United States. And so uh, people like Dan Harris, the ABC News journalist and others who have been influenced by Buddhism kind of repackage uh, meditation uh, in a secular way so that it's, that it's, um, available and accessible to those who are not interested in, you know, um, getting into Buddhism deeply or whatever it, it might be. One last thing, and then I'll uh, invite Max to uh, offer his comments. But, um, you know, as you mentioned, we, uh, Max graduated from TCU, Texas Christian University. I've, I've been teaching here uh, since 2007, and we, we naturally get a lot of Christian students. And so, there are, you know, many of the students who I will teach these practices to are religious themselves. And so they, you know, it's really an interesting kind of um, negotiation. Uh, how, how do they, you know, they see the benefits. There's a lot of scientific research that's coming out about the benefits. But they're also practicing Christians, and so navigating that. And as you mentioned, Paul, there, there are a number of figures coming out of different Christian traditions who have, you know, been interested in, in contemplative practices. Uh, Max, I'll stop there and then invite you to, uh, to add your thoughts. Thank you, Mark, and good to be with you again, Paul. Um, yeah, absolutely. Mark, I think you, I think you summed it up well. Um, and Paul, what comes to mind when you, you said that phrase about spiritual but not religious, I, I've heard so many um, of my peers at school and friends my age say this. Um, so I think it's interesting that it's so common. Um, but the thing that came to mind about contemplative studies is it's interesting to see how it becomes sort of a, a middle ground or a common ground for people, like you said, who might be practicing Christians who are able to weave um, their religious beliefs into contemplative practices. And then there are also people who 
won't ever identify as Buddhist or Hindu um, or any other religion where these practices come from. But what I've noticed that maybe is interesting to raise is that a lot of people maybe start that way. And I think this is more where I am at with this is um, being really interested in the practices, but then those being a gateway to the traditions and religions themselves. So I've seen um, some people, myself included, follow this route of being interested in yoga or meditation and then going more deeply into the uh, traditions that they come from. So that's an interesting pathway into it um, because, of course, it's it's not something we're born into, um, maybe how a lot of other people come into their religious beliefs. Um, yeah, it's, it's definitely right. an interesting stage in the development of all of this. Yes, very interesting points. Thank you. You know, I think in the in the old days, in the historic sense, you know, the, the, c the contemplative was something that happened when you penetrated into a religion. You know, after you after you're accepted as a religionist, whatever that religion would be, then then the more the, the profound teachings, the contemplative teachings, maybe the mystical teachings would be shown to you. You know, you you were. You were okay. You were accepted. So we'll we'll reveal these things. And um, if I'm thinking of Tibetan Buddhism, you know, which used to be quite esoteric, and now since the diaspora, you know, after the the fact that uh, Tibet was taken over by um, by China, you know, there, there's been a, a reverse in that, and and all the teachings now have, have become available, even the most esoteric, right? And it's amazing to me how. Uh, you know, the, the teachings can be taught, actually, with, without all the constructs of, of re religiosity around them, because they are pure teachings, they, they're, they're pure consciousness. And um, th this is exciting to me, you know, because it's unencumbered by, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with, with religion, I'm, I'm attracted to Hinduism and, and, and certain kinds of Christianity myself, but but it's amazing how, how profound things can be with, without having to have all the um, the moralistic, uh, you know, uh, like I say, constructs around around the teachings. Yes, Paul, yeah. I think that's a good good point. And um, you use the word uh, moralistic, and I think um, you know, going back to this this distinction of being uh, spiritual but not religious. Uh, those who identify in that way often they would probably use that that term moralistic or maybe dogmatic or you know kind of these institutions that become very big and then become quite conservative and so I think there's um, you know part of this is trying to break away from that but one one of the other things that I would mention that has been a criticism, and so there's you know there's been a lot of hype, especially around mindfulness. And Andy and I talked about this in our article. Um, so there's 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 really a lot of hype, and there's the movement in uh, the United States to uh, take the teachings, say Buddhist teachings, like you mentioned, follow the Tibetan teachings, and take them out of that context but then remove the the ethical basis and so for at least in my mind you know the kind of the ethical component of these teachings is really quite important however that word you use moralistic it can become you know heavy-handed and oppressive and i think it, right. when it does so it can it can really uh drive drive people away but 
I think as probably many of uh, the listeners know, uh, mindfulness has, you know, it's interpenetrated all elements of um, society. So it's in, it's in sports, it's in business and the business of mindfulness, uh, both how companies like Google or Aetna have used it, but also the actual business of mindfulness, meaning how people make money uh, from it has been uh, the source of, of some, some fairly heated discussion uh, and, and some criticism. If, if viewers are interested, there's a great book that um, Andy and I use in, in uh, a mindfulness course we teach called Mindful uh, America by uh, uh, Jeff Wilson. And it talks about this, you know, this kind of development of moving away from teachers who were trained in these traditions to others who are teaching secularized versions, often with very little uh, background as a way, um, you know, kind of in the, on one end of the spectrum as a way to, to make money. Um, so it's, it's a, it's a, it's a delicate uh, dance, I would say. Yeah, very good points. Cause uh, a few years ago, everything was the Tao, wasn't it? The Tao of leadership, the Tao of Fu, the Tao of this, the Tao of that. <laughs> right. and, and now it's, it's shifted to, you know, mindfulness. Uh, everybody's got a mindfulness practice. You know, it becomes a bit of a cliche after a while. And it's a very good point, you know, that, that people take the idea, think they understand it, and then start teaching it. But it's, it's a very different version to, you know, classical mindfulness that, that might have come out of, uh, you know, Buddhist tradition. You mentioned earlier, you know, this this delight in wanting to find out more about to the spiritual or meditative practices rather than the full uh, texts, you know, the, the full understanding of a particular religion. There's two good books. Uh, you know, he's probably familiar. Rick Fields wrote one about the coming of uh, the Buddhism to America called The Swans Came to the Lake, I think it's called, uh, When the Swans Came to the Lake. And, uh, you know, he talks about that. And then um, Phil Goldberg wrote American Vader about the Hindu influence. And, um, yeah, we, we want the we want the, the, the bells and, and the incense and the meditation and the enlightenment. You know, we, we don't necessarily want all the uh, ethical uh, traditions and the systematic uh, uh, study of it, which is equally important, actually. So uh, there, there's a danger there, isn't it, in... in um, in, in popularizing something, it's great, but then you, you, maybe you miss something that's uh, that's actually quite important, you know. Yeah, yeah, good point, good point, Paul. So I'm now you throw it out there, uh, Mark. About uh, there's a new name, of course. You know, I want to know what it is. So uh, if it's not going to be contemplative <laughs> yeah. studies, what is it, Max? Can you tell us? <laughs> yeah, Max, you go ahead. Jeff's not going to yes, say. I, I want, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so the name is Calm, so the Calm Group, and it's Compassionate Awareness and Living Mindfully, so it's an acronym. And um, ah. Mark, I think it it was Blake, Dr. Hester, who came up with this name, and um, if you want to speak more about it, please do, but I personally think it's a really beautiful name for the group because it weaves together um I think in a lot of traditions, but what comes to mind is Buddhism, the two wings of the bird where one is wisdom and one is compassion and um, holding those two things with um, equal weight. But of course, it goes beyond just Buddhism. And Mark, I don't know if you want to add more to that, but I think it's a really good name. <laughs> 
Yeah, sure. Thanks. Um, thanks, Max. Um, so, Paul, as, as Max said, it was the uh, creative wizardry of our um, one of our leaders. His name is Blake Hester. He's um, he's a professor in the philosophy department, and uh, he lives over in this in in what's called Fairmount, which is a really nice kind of older area, Fort Worth. And uh, so we regularly go over to his house. It's great. We call it the abode of uh, eternal tranquility and lots of good things happen there. And so one night we were sitting there and um, one of one of our other leaders is uh, Dave Afghandillion, who teaches in anthropology, but he is also uh, the director um, of what's called HARE, H-A-R-E, like the rabbit hair, which is human-animal relations. And so we just started talking about that, like, you know, contemplative studies really doesn't mean much. Uh, you know, outside academia, it has a specific meaning, and it's fine. Uh, but for most people, and I would imagine most listeners, if they heard that phrase, they w- wouldn't get much out of it. Uh, but calm, so Blake came up with, in it, you know, this moment of inspiration came up with calm, and we all just thought that's perfect because, as, as Max said, it suggests calm, you know, being calm, which is one of the uh, significant benefits of doing meditation and mindfulness. Uh, but it's also this acronym, so contemplative awareness and living mindfully. So the contemplative awareness is this idea of paying attention to what is is going on. And so, you know, it naturally can manifest in many different ways from, you know, us as teachers paying attention to the suffering uh, or, you know, anxiety and depression and other negative mental states of, of our students. But it also includes, um, we have... A, TCU, something called DEI, Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, trying to make uh, the TCU campus in many different ways um, a more uh, diverse, equitable, um, and inclusive place. Um, and so, you know, that can, uh, the, the contemplative awareness can manifest in, in um DEI concerns, food insecurity, you know, uh, all kinds of of things. And then the second part, living mindfully, is kind of the call to action. So if we see these things, um, you know, I I come out of the Buddhist tradition and uh, Thich Nhat Hanh, one of the really well-known teachers, a Vietnamese Zen Buddhist teacher, uh, who is the founder of socially engaged Buddhism, his, one of his ways of describing kind of what's incumbent upon all of us as sentient beings is to not turn away, not turn away from the suffering of, of others. And so, you know, if we, if we are, um, you know, engaged in compassion awareness, we see that. And then living mindfully, I think for Max and for me and the other student and faculty and staff leaders in our group think of that as, um, we have to work, you know, intentionally to uh, do whatever we can to alleviate that suffering. So, yeah, so it's 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 a great uh, name, and I'm I'm happy to Paul, if you'd like, you know, Max and I can both talk more about a little bit more about the history and kind of the vision, the trajectory for the group, if if that would be helpful. Yeah, that's nice, and. Uh... You know, if we want to get technical, it reminds me of the two aspects of contemplative meditation in Buddhism. You know, the shamatha, the calm abiding, and then the vipassana, the uh, clear seeing or investigation, mindfulness, whatever. So, so they're they're both in, involved in that, aren't they? Um, and in fact, they nest in each other, right? You, you, 
you get calm in order that you may see more clearly um, and you can't have the one without the other. You know, a confused, troubled mind can't see very clearly. So, um, the, and yet, you know, if you're just going to investigate, uh, you can get a little too heady. So you need to rest in the in the heart, which is that calm abiding into the center of your being. So they, they support each other, right? So I, I think it's a, it's a good acronym. So is it going to just be for TCU? Or I know this movement is spreading around the state. So is is, is everybody else going to change or what? <laughs> Good question. Max, why don't you weigh in first, and then I'll add my my two cents. Yeah, and of course what I'm going to say is only uh, speculative. But uh, from what I've come to learn about how um, – TC was involved with other universities and colleges. It seems like they have similar programs elsewhere. And I think the type of communities that are being created, I think, lend themselves well to helping each other out. <laughs> I think that people at the root of them are, are um, maybe above average when it comes to being altruistic and lending a helping yeah. hand. So um, I think that it seems like there's a growing number of these groups and it's interesting that some of them are at various places along their development or maturity. And I think Mark can probably speak more to this, but at other universities, there might be entire centers with all sorts of um, research happening and, and things of that nature. And then some are just maybe in talks of starting a group and have ideas, but maybe haven't um, materialized yet. So it's interesting that TCU, I think, I hope Mark agrees with me, and this is somewhere in between that where there's lots of work that's been done, but there's lots of directions and growth that can still happen with the group. Um, and I think yes, connecting good. with the other schools is, is only beneficial. Right, it's unfolding. And goodness knows we need calm in our world today, right? I mean, we all need right. calm in our own individual lives, but I think it's a wonderful thing to have some calm. I, when every time I get on the on the road on the highway these days, it, it's madness, you know. And that speaks to me. It's not just on the road. People are rushing, worried, upset. Uh, I just witnessed an accident on my way back from somewhere this morning, and it's simply because people are not making wise choices. They're rushing along. They're they're tailgating. They're you know they're they're mean spirited. Basically, is what it is. And, you know, it's, you can bless them. I mean, I try not to get involved in it, but uh, it worries me because I think it's in, an indicator of the, the, the stresses that are in our society right now. No doubt COVID is contributing to that, you know, the polarizations we see in our political system, whatnot. So, so calm, to just be calm would be a wonderful thing, I think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I Paul, I, I agree, and, and uh, let me just uh, add a, a, just a couple things to what um, Max said, which was a great summary um, mm -hmm. of what's going on. So uh, there is there is this wave. Uh, we're trying to ride the wave, and as Max uh, described, our group, which started in 2012, and I've mentioned Andy Fort's name a few times, and uh, he and I have appeared on, on your show, and he's appeared separately uh, several times. Um, so it just started as kind of this bottom-up grassroots uh, thing at TCU, and it's really a, probably over the last two to three years really taken on some uh, significant momentum. 
And so, you know, our, I mean, kind of our main concern is trying to spread um, the word about the benefits of these practices at TCU. And so we're moving towards creating what's called the calm minor. So uh, students can minor in this. And that will be really quite interesting because it could be, um, you know, students who are not uh, in religious studies, uh, because as we've talked about already, these are, you know, you can teach these as secularized practices. And so a teacher, a professor in math or, you know, dance or, or all kinds of places could, could do this. And so that's something that's really exciting for us. And maybe uh, down the road, all this, although this is a ways down the road, and we'll take more funding uh, to create the Calm Center for uh, student flourishing. And so we are now at the point, Andy and I went to uh, a workshop. Uh, this was in December of 2017 at Brown University, which has one of the programs that Max was referring to, multi-million dollar, you know, people in the hard sciences and, and things like that. And so we were invited because we were, as Max uh, mentioned, kind of you know, we'd been we'd been doing it for six or seven years, and so we we built up a, a program, but we were not anywhere near some of these. You know, like uh, there's the um, Center for Healthy Minds at the University of Wisconsin. There's a, a, a there's a big program at University of Virginia um, and Brown University, and other other major universities have these. And so we're we we're kind of in the middle. Uh, but what we've tried to do over the last three or four years is uh, connect with uh, groups who are in the region and, and mainly through friends we have uh, and try to help them get programs started. We have a very good friend, uh, Yvette Vargas O'Brien at Austin College in Sherman, Texas. Uh, another friend, uh, uh, Chad Pibato, who's um, at Texas Wesleyan. And so we've been working with them trying to help them get programs going. And one of the things that um, we've done is uh, created a program called Calm buddies. And Max has been, uh, Max and some of the other student leaders have been leading these. And these are small cohorts of students who meet once a week for half an hour. Um, they they do some meditation. Uh, they kind of share what's going on in their lives. And uh, this is, uh, you know, Andy and I have been teaching these classes for a number of years now, and they're usually small. And students get to know each other, and you know we always sit in a circle and we have these discussions about all kinds of things, uh, you know, some really, yeah. uh, some really serious That's things, amazing. and that taps into this kind of, uh, you know, desire for exploring your spirituality. So I can say more if if you'd like, Paul. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, I think I think we get the idea. Yeah, that it's wonderful and um, it's very practical, is what I'm hearing, which is which is. Wonderful, too. We're at the break. Uh, I'm talking about contemplative studies with, with a couple of fascinating people. We'll be back after these messages from Unity. And they've all been, all of us have been to India. And we're going to talk about that a little bit and the influence of India. So uh, listen to these messages and join us soon. You're listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. We now return to World Spirituality with Reverend Paul John Roach. All right, welcome back to 
today's show. I'm with Mark Dennis and Max Solansky. We're talking about contemplative studies in not just Texas Christian Unit University, but throughout the states. There's there's been a lot of interest in in those studies, practical spirituality, if you like, and uh, a lot of scientific work also being done in various centers um, as, to underpin these uh, these contemplative practices. And I'm fascinated by that. Actually, the um, the other day I was uh, my daughter sent me a Key and Peele sketch. If some of you may know Key and Peele. Uh, comedians and in the sketch the, the one of the characters was Neil deGrasse Tyson who's uh, of course a great astrophysicist and uh, popularizer of uh, phantasmagorical stuff whoops and uh, sorry about that I hope everybody could hear me but anyway uh, it was this it was a discussion of uh, abstruse um, quantum physics and mechanics and whatnot on on the uh, on this comedy show, and I thought this is awesome because now we're we're having com comedians popularizing some of these scientific uh, understandings, and it seems to me, Max and, and uh, Mark, that it, it's almost as if uh, if in if, you know human endeavor was a circle, um, science is on the one side and, and spirituality is on the other, but now with with these new practices and new understanding. With quantum physics, it's almost as if they're they're coming together, right? They're, they're both saying the same thing. I mean, a lot of what I hear from uh, real uh, deep quantum mechanics is is very spiritual, something that the the mystics have been um, intuitively aware of for for thousands of years. Yeah, Paul, that's a um, can Paul, can you hear me? Mm-hmm. Okay, so yes. um, yeah, that's a that's a, a good point, and um, one of the really um, interesting developments has been uh, scientific research into the um, changes that happen to people that meditate. And so, right. you know, there's uh, the Center for Healthy Minds at the University of Wisconsin, which I mentioned, is is one of the places that's really at the forefront of this. Richard Davidson, a neuroscientist, is the founder and director, and they have uh, Andy and Blake and I went to visit the center, and it's quite impressive. There's somewhere between 100 and 200 people. They have, you know, people like me, scholars of Buddhism, the humanistic uh, types, but then computer programmers, uh, neuroscientists, mm -hmm. and all kinds of people. And a yeah. lot of uh, stuff is coming out about the benefits that come from. Uh, doing these these kinds of, of practices. Now, to what degree this will, you know, as, as you were saying, this, there was this separation, and then now there seems to be more of a confluence. I'm I'm not sure to what degree that will um, that will happen, but there are clearly people. The Dalai Lama is is one of them. The uh, leader of the uh, Tibetan people in exile. Uh, he he and a few other people founded something called the Mind and Life Institute, and one of its kind of major purposes is to investigate these, the kind of the science uh, behind this. Uh, for the listeners, there's a great article um, that we teach in class. It's a little old now. It's uh, November of 2014, I think, uh, but it's it's um, in Scientific American. It's called the Neuroscience something like the neuroscience of meditation and so what happens in your brain to your emotions etc when you do these kinds of practices yes very fascinating stuff so that, this brings me to my question for max um, 
Max, did, did, did all these, this contemplative study help you get a better degree? <laughs> I'm, being, I'm being a little facetious. That's a good question, Paul. Um, I mean, they're staying within the practical realm. There, There's all sorts of research and then things I can attest to anecdotally about um, how having a mindfulness practice that works with your ability to pay attention can help right. um, improve your ability to excel at schoolwork. But I think that's one of the these things that goes back to our original conversation is something like mindfulness is, is removed from the framework that it originated from and that is now helping a student in 2019 get an A on a test. So I think it, uh, on one hand, it definitely helped me with my degree in terms of being able to achieve more and um, work harder and all those things that lead to good positive outcomes for good grades and taking more classes and all that stuff. But I think that while it is definitely a positive, um, I think there was things that went beyond the degree that are still flowing with me, if you will, or continuing with me. that are more valuable in a sense in terms of um, living a more meaningful life or flourishing or being able to cope with um, the stresses of, of life after college or however you want to frame it. Um, so I think it goes beyond the degree, which I'm very thankful for. I'm glad it's not only um, attention and staying up late studying because those are things I don't necessarily miss so much about. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And as I say, I was being a little facetious, but I, you know, I think this, <laughs> these practices do definitely help us, right, in, in in terms of focus and attention, but but also in creating, like you said, meaning. You know, the the purpose in our lives. There's uh, there's a sense of that which is which is very powerful because right? I I sh- I truly believe, you know, if it, if it, all of us have a sense of purpose, then we live totally differently. If and if we don't, you know, and and of course, you could say, well, my purpose is to, you know, exploit and make money. We're not talking about that kind of purpose, but a higher purpose of being as, as kind and altruistic as we can, as well as having a rich and fulfilling life. Right. So it's uh, it's a beautiful thing. As I as I move into, um, you know, a certain age, as I get older, you know, I, I notice that the, the, those people that, uh, you know, are, are highly engaged in their lives as they go into their late 60s, 70s, whatever, um, you know, they, they seem to stay healthier. And uh, those people that have lost touch and, you know, have nothing to do after they retire, uh, you know, the ones that suffer the most. So, again, I think intentionality is is so important. Now, I know each one of us has been to India, right? I know, of course, Marcus lived in India for many years and. And I know you've done the IAPA pilgrimage in South India twice, which is always blows my mind because mm-hmm. that's quite a feat. Um, I, I've been to India three or four times in my life. I, I, I love Asia and India. Um, uh, Max, you've been too, right? Yeah, um, not as extensive as these trips you've mentioned, which I hope to hear more about. But um, right after graduating, I had a small gap before starting my job. And... Um, I think for really a mix of reasons, decided to spend one month of that um, in India, more or less wandering around. There was one part of it which was a more formal um, 
yoga study program, but the majority was wandering, which I was very helpful um, for what I needed at that time. But um, yeah, so did you wander in northern India, or what part of India were you in? Yeah, I I basically stayed in north to northeast India. Um, So Uh there's lots to go back and see, and I feel really lucky to have gone on a trip like this before COVID began when um, yes. these, these things are more limited and now of course India is suffering a lot and um, I try to remember that I benefited so much from traveling there and then returning back to where I live now yeah, and of course, there's, yeah. yeah and our compassion goes out to people in India especially around Delhi and, and other parts that are you know, really suffering right now so um, you know, we, we, we send uh, energy and anything else we can do practically for that. But uh, so what is it about India that's attractive? Um, I can maybe give a short answer and then turn it over to Mark, because on the topic that I was just speaking to, I remember throughout the contemplative studies group and courses I had been taking, I'd been learning about meditation and these traditions as at a very um, like beginner level, I was just starting to open my eyes towards where these practices come from and the different traditions. And um, so one major pull to go there was going to where these traditions began. Um, right. And I think the other thing that I, I think really benefited me from going there is being in a culture where things like meditation and yoga aren't thought of as strange <laughs> and there's sort of a, a norm almost maybe like sports in America. So I think it was helpful to interact with a culture where um, these things that may be seen as not strange nowadays, but different were just the normal thing to do. Um, so I think that gave me more confidence in my uh, following that type of path. Mm, very interesting. Yeah. Of course, Mark, you've been to India more extensively, perhaps, than both, even both, both Max and I. But uh, what is it for you that's the, the attraction there? Yeah, so I I remember when I first started uh, doing meditation, which would have been 1986, I think. Uh, I read uh, the you know this famous uh, work on yoga, uh, autobiography of a yogi, and uh, I just found it so fascinating. And, you know, I, I became interested mainly in Zen Buddhism, uh, but I think as, as probably most listeners know, Buddha, Buddhism, you know, emerges in India and then is transmitted through uh, throughout Asia. And so um, I, I went to Japan. I lived in Japan for about six years, but during that time I, I traveled to India a couple times and uh, mainly in the south, unlike, unlike uh, Max, who was in the north. Um, and stayed on an ashram, which is a kind of a spiritual or religious community, often affiliated with Hinduism. And it was very simple, and I was really uh, attracted to it. Um, it was what you would call a bhakti kind of devotional uh, ashram. And so I visited a couple times, and, you know, I had really thought that, um, you know, I'd stay in Japan for just a year or two and then go on to India, but I stayed much longer uh, but eventually I did go to India and uh, lived on this ashram for about two and a half years. As you mentioned, um, I, I went on the Ayapa pilgrimage, which is in the, I was in the, a state called uh, Tamil Nadu, 
uh, and to the west of Tamil Nadu is a, a Kerala, which is where the pilgrimage is. Uh, but I also had to, the chance to travel with some friends from the ashram to lots of um, kind of holy, religious, spiritual uh, places. And, you know, India is so interesting. When I Before I came to TCU, I was still a graduate student, but I was teaching at a small liberal arts college in Minnesota, and we had a program that would send students to India. Um, and it's a place that it's, you know, it's just so fascinating. Um, it's this, you know, these contradictions and it makes you face yourself. Uh, that's kind of how I would describe it. Um, and sometimes that's not, <laughs> maybe you're not ready for that. It's not a place, uh, you know, with a few exceptions in India, it's not the place to go and relax. But if you're looking for kind of spiritual growth, uh, introspection, it's a wonderful place to do that, but sometimes it can be hard. Um, so I, I just have a very soft spot for India. I'm also in my classes, I teach about Indian independence. So Gandhi and Nehru and Jinnah and these people. And then I have other connections. My wife is actually from India. Um, she's from a place called Mysore, which is uh, more in the south. And um, I've actually haven't been. We got married about a year and a half ago, but haven't been able to travel uh, because of the pandemic. And just one last thing I'd mention, Paul, is that, um, you know, Blake Kester, who we've mentioned a couple times and who's going to be on your show, uh, he and I and Andy, we've talked about, you know, one day we'd love to do a, a study abroad, you know, kind of a, a contemplative study. So meditation, mindfulness, yoga uh, in in India. Uh, but that's, you know, there's a, so many restrictions now. And as, as you both have said, uh, I mean, the case is the, the situation is very dire there. So, yes. um, but yeah, I have this very strong connection to, to India and love for this country. Well, I think you're going to love Mysore. It's one of my favorite cities. And uh, of course, the palace is fantastic there. But there's also a hill outside of uh, outside of Mysore called Chamundi Hill because it's dedicated to the goddess Chamundi, who's a form of uh, Kali, right? Uh, the emaciated one, I think it actually is. But um, it is a fascinating pilgrimage up the hill, you know, through the forest to this to this temple and... Uh, Remember taking that back in the day and and uh, being highly highly influenced by it and and uh, not really understanding the nature of Chamundi at the time, but now I, as I grow older, I, I understand that that uh, destructive, transformative aspect of of the goddess more. But I I think for me, you know, India the the veil as Max was as you were saying, Max, uh, you know, the veil is thinner there. You know, the the, the meditation is taken for granted. Um, the spiritual is right in the midst of of the of the dung, and you know it is a land of contradictions, as you were saying, Mark. But the, the veil is thinner, and it, it inspires you, I think, to to bring that understanding back into to the West. You know, to see that everywhere is spiritual. That um, you know, the 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 spiritual, the um, the mysterious is all around us, right? And, and to to live from that context, because. You know, when I came back from India the last time, I I thought, where is everybody when I get came back to America? Because there's nobody on the street except cars. <laughs> um, you know, whereas in India, everything's on the street. You know, life itself is happening on the street. Um, but I thought, you know, but this this spiritual qualities are still around. And at springtime, which we're in now, you know, I feel that very strongly. You know, the Mother Nature is is very apparent at this time, and that that gives me great strength and succor. You know, to 
to, uh, and and even though nature is, is uh, you know again destructive you know tornadoes whatever but it's it's also calm isn't it there's a balance and an order to it that's very beautiful so yeah i think i think bringing it on home is important to me yeah yeah and of course that's what this contemplative studies practice is right is is bringing it on home to and and you know max stated it very well about how you know, it, it helps you in your in your everyday life, your student life, your work life, wherever you may be. Yeah, that's a good point, Paul. And and one of the things that um, I think Andy and Blake and uh, would would echo is that, you know, a lot of students get into it because of these kind of very practical issues. Like, uh, there's a lot of anxiety. There was a, I mean, starting in 2011. 11, anxiety among college students started to spike and the pandemic has just made that worse, but other things like, you know, depression, sleep issues. And so, you know, doing mindfulness to help you deal with these things, there's nothing wrong with that. That's, that's fine. Um, uh, but I think what often happens, and I think this is what Max was suggesting is that um, if you do that, then, and you see the benefits, um, you know, then you start exploring and, and that can that exploration can go in many many different directions. But for some, I think Max would be an example of this. Um, you start looking into into those traditions. So doing some yoga, looking into uh, you know Max has I mean he's he hasn't said uh, he's doing some really interesting stuff. I mean he's involved in like dream yoga and he's taking a program and that's looking at kind of contemplative practices and like psychotherapeutic uh, issues. So um, I, I, I do agree that, you know, making these available and, and you know, seeing where, seeing where it takes people. That's all, I think that's all good. But, the, you know, to go back to the very beginning of the conversation where uh, to exploit it, and this has happened with yoga. I mean, Andy will talk about this kind of, you know, the commodification. So you're, it's a, it becomes a product and you're selling it. Um, there's something problematic with that and something is something is lost. Um, and so, yeah, that's what I would, uh, that's what I would add. Well, unfortunately, it's the Western way, certainly the American way, right? We take a great idea and we commodify it, whatever. Uh, we, we make money out of it and then, you know, and, and you can't blame it. That's the whole, that's the whole way society works over here. You know, it, it sees things in that, in that light, but, you know, for, for every um, damaged piece of goods, perhaps there's a lot of there's more benefit, right? There's more good that's come out of the the yoga revolution. You know, yoga studios in every corner. Um, I'd rather have that than than uh, than not, right? They, they they are helping people relax and and uh, get into that. And you know, many are teaching not just hatha yoga these days, but they're getting into um, breathing techniques. They're starting to teach some of the spiritual principles and etc so you know it's an it's an like you mentioned earlier it's an unfolding process and um but yeah we we we, we always want to be a, a little step away from um it, it becoming just like you say commodified right because then then it's lost part of its essence isn't it yeah i think i think that is one of the dangers uh paul and i i do agree with your comment that that's that's kind of our, you know, part of our society, this entrepreneurial spirit, right. which in some ways can be good, but in <laughs> in other ways, exactly. it, 
Yeah, it can, it's a it can take sword. things. Yeah. yeah, definitely a double-edged sword, yeah. Now, I know, I know that you have to leave us, Mark, because you're going to talk about conservative studies at a faculty level, right? So you need yes, to leave us yes, soon. Yes, I've got it. Yes, I'm going to maybe in one minute, I thought I would sign off. And uh, All right, yeah, well, we have okay. a. Yeah, yeah we go understand. ahead. Paul. We understand that you have to go. So um, okay. but thank you again so much for being being with us um, on this on the show, as always. And uh, good luck with the meeting. Hope it goes well. And yeah. um, and so, Max, let me let me close with you. We have about five minutes, less than five minutes left. Um, what, what's on Thank your you, mind as a, a relatively young person um, to speak to us? You know, you've got you've got a public forum right now on, on this uh, on this podcast. What what would you like to say? <laughs> yeah, that's a a big question, Paul. And um, I think one of the things you reminded me of might be worth mentioning. Um, upon coming back to the U.S. from India, I was struck by something that I think is probably very common, maybe. Um, because in, in India, I remember feeling very at ease with the world, maybe even going as far to say in love with the world and feeling loved by it. Um, and then coming back, I feel like that was sort of stripped away in a sense because I was thrown back into life as I knew it. Um, so I think... Right something that we may not have the answer to, but that we need to continuously look into is how to integrate these types of maybe altered states or experiences that feel um, feel good and feel important into daily life. And I think it might feel like a drag at times to think, oh, I have to keep my job <laughs> or like if it's maybe not as fulfilling, but maybe a reframing of daily life as I think you said, seeing spirituality of religion um, on the streets or all around us, because I think that's something people would like to bypass or escape, but it seems like a necessary end point if we're going to do this in a, in a complete and the whole way. Um, yeah, excellent, I definitely excellent. struggle with that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a huge point. I remember coming back from India when I was in my mid twenties after about a year and, um, you know, I never went back to school because I was te a teacher and uh, my life was very, you know, bifurcated. It was, uh, I wish I could be spiritual all the time on the one side and then I hate my job on the other, you know. And yeah. um, the, the, whole, the whole of life is bringing those two uh, diverse parts together, you know, the fact the fact that spiritual, the spiritual is in the teaching as well, you know, but I was very much into resistance, you know, if, if only I could, you know, be free to pursue these wonderful spiritual ideals, etc. But of course, that's a tough illusion. You know, the work, the work is uh, in the integration, right? And it's, it's not always easy to do that. Yeah, it is definitely not easy. But um, I, at least in my own experience of the world, it, any sort of split, it seems like it's hard to sustain an overall well-being spiritually or just generally, if there's that type of split between yes. one in in oneself or selves. <laughs> yeah. Right, and you're absolutely right. You know, and in my case, you know, I had to split from from teaching and move into ministry because it, you know, it just wasn't working for me, and I I needed something that would help me integrate. And becoming a minister did did do that for me. And uh, you know, and and you still had to work, but it was. Uh, 
working in a different context. So, you know, sometimes we're motivated to do things to get us out of the the seeming um, duality of our lives. And it's it's okay to pursue that, I think. Um, let me tell people about next week's show, and then we'll just have a little bit left to, to say goodbye. Uh, next week, uh, author and minister Linda Martella Whitsett. She's the vice president of Unity Prayer Ministry. And her daughter, Alicia, joined me to discuss their book. It's called This Life is Yours. Discover Your Power, Claim Your Wholeness, and heal your life. So we're very much sort of piggybacking on some of the themes we've talked about today. Um, but uh, I want to, Mark's gone, we wish him well. Uh, but Max, the, um, I've thoroughly enjoyed talking with you. It makes me want to know more about you. You're, you're, you're in Chicago and pursuing a career, right? But you're still involved in, in, this, in these programs. Yes, that is correct. And it's been great talking with you as well, Paul. And, and like you said about your own path, I foresee lots of change and figuring things out for myself in the future. So we'd love to stay right. in touch. And, and, yeah. Absolutely. And thank, thanks for listening, folks, of this voice of an awakening world. Thank you, Max. And uh, we'll hopefully talk with you next week. Take care now. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Are you ready to experience the rich interconnection of spirituality, orientation, and identity? If so, plan to attend Liberating Your Divine Identity, a retreat at Unity Village during Pride Month, June 9th to the 12th. This soul-filled retreat is facilitated by LGBTQIA plus Unity Ministers with workshops and ceremonies to cultivate a deeper awareness of our spiritual nature. Register at unityvillage.org forward slash divine 2022 